spending some time. The elders are going to come up at the end. I was told I'm supposed to warm you up for them. I don't know what that means. And Butch was kind of nebulous on it, so we'll just kind of move forward with it. Before we get into the lesson this morning, I wanted to just say a few things. A, it is a pleasure to be here. That's that you continue to pray for Sunny as she's packing up all of our physical possessions that we're going to be bringing to Louisiana. She's planning on being here next Tuesday, so then she can take care of the puppy. Uh, at that point, and I can get some sleep. Second, if you didn't see it on the Facebook post, I posted a come and go welcome yeah, cookout barbecue out at the house on the 28th of May. If you have not yet RSVP'd, I kind of need to know that so I know how much meat I need to provide. Yeah, the deal is I'm going to provide the meat, you provide the chairs and the buns to put them in. If you guys are going to be this slow all the time, I got my work cut out for me. That's all I'm saying. All right? But it's good to be here. We're going to start a four-part series on family this morning. We're going to spend the month of May looking at what it is to be family, what the ideas are that God is presenting to us in that. So let's start with just asking a question. I'm not expecting you to answer out loud, but if I ask you what is normal when it comes to family, what pops into your head? Does your family pop into your mind when I say what is normal family? You know, are you one of those families that put the fun in dysfunction? Where, where you, you sit there and you think about all of the different ties that you have inside your family and, and everything that's going on there. What is normal? What defines normal in terms of family units? Yeah, most of you know I was raised in what would be considered a not normal family. It was a his, hers, ours family relationship. Dad had Tina in a previous marriage. Mom had John and Jennifer well before she married Dad. And then they had me and we all got together and got along so swimmingly through that, that whole process. Uh, and so it's just, we, we get in our minds what the idea of normal is, but I would submit to you that maybe we need to not be so focused on what is normal, but what is right. The world has this mantra, and I don't know if you've heard it lately, but how many of us have heard it said from various sources, oh, we just need to get back to normal. You've heard that? Well, guys, what if normal is wrong? Do we ever stop to consider that? What if getting back to normal isn't right? Maybe our focus as God's people needs to be less on being normal and just on what's right. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about being right just for the sake of being right so you can go out there and just be nasty to people. But looking at what God's word says and how it guides us as his people. Not worried about what's normal, but what is right. And again, not talking about some Stepford Wives. You guys remember the movie Stepford Wives? Well, it was men that didn't want to deal with their wives, so they had robots made in their likeness. And Pod people? Invasion of the Body Snatchers, is that helping? All right, some of you are, at least know what I'm talking about. Let's start by looking at what a functional family looks at this morning. And I think there's a lot of different ideas that are out there. A lot of people have skewed ideas of what God's purpose is for his family. And I think a lot of that actually comes from a grave misconception of who God is. There's a lot of people out there that think of God in various terms, but a lot of them will think of God as being just plain old inconsistent 
in how he deals with humanity and how he's dealt with humanity throughout history. They look at the God of the Old Testament. I'm sure we've heard this before. They look at the God of the Old Testament and they see this fire and brimstone, you know, big Zeus type character with a long bushy beard sitting on a throne just waiting to hurl thunderbolts down on people as they're living on this earth. And then they view the God of the New Testament as what I refer to as the Santa Claus God, right? Uh, by the way, raise your hand, especially the kids. Anybody ever received a lump of coal in your stocking for Christmas? Yeah, because Santa doesn't do that. He just brings the good stuff. And people view God that way, or the God of the New Testament is this Santa Claus God who, who isn't overly concerned with that whole concepts of justice and punishment and the same, those things that we apply to him from the Old Testament. And so we, we have a disparaging view of who God is in our minds because we can't figure out that it's the same God of the, that's in the Old Testament that's also in the New Testament. Look at how God dealt with Israel, just for a second. Uh, in terms of, all right, so they're in captivity in Egypt and they lead them on the Exodus and Moses leads them to Mount Sinai. Moses goes up on the mountain. There's a presentation of the law that's given to Moses during that time. Have you ever stopped to consider why God gave Israel the law? Well, it's because he likes rules. That's why God gave Israel the law, right? No, that is not why God gave Israel the law. That when you do a study of the law that God gave Israel, it was there because he was gracious enough because they didn't know how communities were supposed to behave toward one another. How they were meant to live as a community of God's people. And there was a very specific purpose for how they were supposed to live. If you look in your Bibles at Exodus 25, 8 and 9, he says, let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them according to all that I'm going to show you as the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all of its furniture, just so you shall construct it. So it's a model that God presents about the tabernacle, which by the way is fitting into the grand purpose of what God's doing with his people. And so once the tabernacle was constructed, as you can see on my amazing graphic that's up on your screen, the tabernacle would be in the center of wherever they camped. All right, so that would be our white rectangle that's up on the screen. The tribes then would camp around the tabernacle. Now, real quick, I know that it's a fantastic graphic, but what's at the center of Israelite life? God is. And worship of him and the sacrifices and the relationship is meant to be at the center of Israelite life. And then God explains further to them that as you're going around and doing these things, you're supposed to be this light to the nations. And so while we have Israelite, the Israelites camp the way that they're told, well, that light continues to shine out. And that blue ring now is the surrounding nations that they're going to be looking at Israel. And Moses mentions this in Deuteronomy where he says, listen, here's how, how it's going to be. The nations are going to look at you and say, who has a God like the God of the Israelites? And that will draw them into the truth that God is presenting to the people of earth. And Israel was the tool. That was how God had designed all of these things to be, to be this light. In fact, when they're leaving Egypt, God says, you're going to do all of these things. And I have done all of these things so that the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. That was God's purpose in all of this, to let the people know who he is. He's dwelling among his people. He wants to dwell in their heart, in their souls, in their minds. 
He wants to show them how to live as neighbors with one another. God wants to be the center of Israelite life. Well, isn't that the message that's presented in the New Testament? Does God still want to be the center of our lives? And there's nothing, nothing out there that distorts the light that God is meaning to shine through us as his people like disunity. Now understand what I'm talking about when I, when I say unity. Yeah, and, and it's obviously not all of us wearing the same thing. Even though, wouldn't that be amazing? Does, do we all have something red that we can wear next week? We, I would look out and all I would see, I wouldn't even see people just the pews. But there's several things that can cause disunity, but really, at the core, what we're talking about here is a lack of a Christ-like spirit. That really is the cause, the source cause of disunity, and it, and it negates, I'm convinced, the light that God is wanting to shine out through us. And a lot of people will argue, and I've had these debates or arguments with people, that, that unity is impossible. That absolute true unity among people is impossible. And we all get that, right? You put 10 people in a room and try to get them to all agree on what color the wall is, there's going to be a fight. And there's going to be debates and arguments because, you know, nine people may say, well, it's obviously brown. And then there'll be that one guy who just wants to be that guy and say, no, that's mustard yellow. I would submit to you that true unity is impossible if it was completely dependent on us. Okay? It is impossible if we are trying to be unified only by our power, our strength, our might. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Let's read this together. Paul says here, he says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which, with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So notice what Paul says here in the text real quick. He, he, he gets into this concept of there's one God, there's one Father. He has called us all into one body. And in this body, we are being told that we are to live worthy of the calling. Well, what calling is that? Is that the calling of being a Christian? Is that the calling of living with other people who have also answered the call to being a Christian? The answer is yes. That this spirit is supposed to be what binds us and works together in all of this. We are not bodies, we are body. And that unity, and I appreciated Chris's class this morning because this whole this all on God thing is something we really just need to grab onto here, okay? 
Because when it comes to terms of unity in the body, this is God's work, not our work. He is the one who establishes uni unity. What does Paul say in Ephesians? It's our job to be preservers of that unity. Which, by the way, anytime we read that we're, we have responsibilities where we're going to be the ones that are called to preserve something, that means that there's going to be some work involved in it. That we're going to have to actually put some effort into what we're doing. That we can't just sit back and go, well, you know, Jesus unified us, so obviously he's going to send down the unity fairy, and he's going to sprinkle unity dust all over us, and it's just going to happen. That's not how it works. That as we work to preserve unity, there's going to, is there going to have to be some grace involved as we deal with one another? Is there going to have to be some forbearance? Is there going to have to be some long-suffering? I always like that word long-suffering, right? Because it does tell you that there is at least some suffering in there. But we're still expected to behave this way toward one another because it was God who did these things for us through his spirit. And the basis of unity, again, is not being identical to one another. And let's just be upfront on this one, because here's the deal. Even if everybody was Jeremy on this planet, I still wouldn't get along with them. Doesn't matter how identical I am to myself, which, by the way, I am. I would still do something that would bug me. Unity is not being identical. Unity is working toward what Christ has us doing as he has placed us within the body in differing roles and various functions, all of those things, right? And it's not seen eye to eye. Paul deals with this in Romans chapter 14. If you haven't read it in a while, go back and read it. that the concept of unity is based on who God calls your family. Raise your hand if you are redeemed by the blood of Christ. Raise it high like you're proud of it. Now look around. Everybody look around. See whose hand is up. That's your family. That's your community. That is who God chose to unify you with. Not because he thinks you're awesome and they need you, or they're awesome and vice versa, but because they have, we have all agreed to the very basic fact of life, that we have sinned, we are worthy of death, and that Christ's death, burial, and resurrection provides the hope for eternity and forgiveness of sins, and we have all embraced that. That is what unifies us. That God broke down the walls that we put up, by the way. Who are we to start rebuilding them? And I know you're sitting there thinking, well, that's all well and good, Jeremy. That's, that's, that just looks good on paper. But I'm telling you right now, as I look across the auditorium and I stare at so-and-so, I know that we're not in 100% agreement on this. Fine. 
Don't have to be. But you know what you do have to do? You do have to love them. You do have to be in a relationship with them because that's how Christ did this thing. It's kind of like that whole thing about, you know, you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family. This is how God establishes the body's work. And the reason we're never going to be in 100% agreement, at least while we're walking on this earth, is because, you know, we got that whole human thing and we're not always right. But what made us family is that work of redemption. So we're called to be diligent in our preservation of the spirit of unity. We have to work on it. God worked at it, at creating it. We have to work at preserving it. And we have been given the tools to preserve that unity. Never once, and this is what I love about God, okay? Never once do we hear God giving a commandment that is impossible for us to actually accomplish. That God never does a because I said so thing to us. He always gives the command, but then also gives us the ability to accomplish what he is commanding us to be. And so when Paul writes that we're supposed to be preservers of this unity, we have the ability to do that. It takes humility. It takes gentleness. It takes patience, forbearance, all of those things. And those are the things that make a family functional. Which leaves us with a question. What do we prefer? Functional family relationships or dysfunctional? And you, and you don't get to say functional this morning just because, you know, Jeremy's preaching on taking the dis out of dysfunction and you know where I'm going with this. You actually have to be honest about it. And you have to answer the question and not just answer the question the right way, but then you have to actually act like you believe the answer to that question. And I'll tell you what that involves. That if I believe in my heart of hearts that we're family and that we've been unified by the redeeming work and blood of Jesus, then that means that I'm going to have to get to know you. And not just on a Sunday morning for 30 minutes type of thing. I'm going to actually have to get to know you. And that means that I'm going to probably learn about your idiosyncrasies. You guys know what an idiosyncrasy is, right? Yeah, if you're married, you do. I'm going to have to learn what makes you tick. What, do you, what have your life experiences been like? What, who are you as an integral part of the body's work here in Lake Charles? You're going to have to get to know me. We're going to have to know each other to such a point that when I see idiosyncrasies or things that come up that may bug me, maybe I even know there's an area where we don't have 100% agreement, but what I do know is your love for the Lord guides you in your study and it guides me in mine and we can 
iron and sharpen iron here, and we can get better with each other, then it's at that point that we can actually reach out to the community as an effective body. Because it doesn't do us any good to be God's people just sitting here doing nothing. But I got to know you and you got to know me, which means we got to spend some time together on this thing. And we're going to work at it together. And I'll make you a promise right here, right now. I'll never lie to you. Don't lie to me. Because that's not how God's people work. Now, I may afflict you, as I said Wednesday night, that I view the role of, a, of the preacher, but also as brothers and sisters in Christ to bring comfort to the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. But all of that is done in love. All of that is done because of our care for one another as members of the body, as family, and the way godly friends should behave toward one another. But a family that is filled with people who are humble, gentle, patient, forbearing one another, can't help but be unified. And my, I would submit to you that if you feel dysfunction in the body, that it's a little bit of worldliness has crept in on that. That we're trying to be normal and not trying to be right. That our purpose and our calling isn't to argue and demand that our needs be met above the needs of others, but to reflect God's love and character to each other because that light cannot be hidden. It is impossible to hide that light. So here's our first challenge for the Family Unity Series. I noticed that some of you, and I've only been here three Sundays, but you guys have your own pews. You ready? And I would submit to you that because you have your own pews, you know the people that sit around you on the regular really well. So here's the challenge. Next week, pick someplace different to sit in here. Pick someplace different to sit. And get to know the people that you're not used to sitting next to. A little bit better. See them for who they are. Hear, hear how well or how horribly they sing. And then you know, okay, well, I'm not sitting over there next week. <laughs> Do we want to be the light in the community that God has called us to be? Do we? Yes. We can be. Yes. We can be. But it is going to take an effort on our part as we work to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Let's be that people. Let's be who God calls us to be. Not normal, because trust me, I've met some of you and you ain't normal. But let's be right. Not right in our eyes, but right in God's eyes. Letting him guide us. As we, as we live on this earth. Because whether you acknowledge it or not, God has put you in where you are right now in this time at this place because he has a purpose for you. Don't kick against the goad. Let him guide you in this. We've got a song that we're going to stand and sing. And as we stand and sing that song, 
We never want to let an opportunity pass us by where we don't yeah, present to you the opportunity that if you are not a Christian and have come to believe in Jesus as the Christ, to at least have an opportunity to ask a question about it. The elders are here. I, I'm here. The members of the body are here to answer those questions about who Jesus is to them and what he, what he accomplished according to God's plan. And you're probably, and you may even be in that position where you understand that, and by faith you're willing to accept and submit to that truth. That at one point, yeah, you were living your own life thinking it was the best way to do it, but understanding what God has accomplished through his son, that you're ready to submit and make Jesus king of your life, to make the confession of him as the Christ and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. This is the opportunity. This is the time. Or maybe you're just a member of the family here at Grandview who is struggling with not being led by, sorry, Lake Charles Boulevard. It hadn't been very long since I was in Des Moines, forgive me. I'm glad some of you gave me that look. That'll probably happen again. It's not because I don't want to be here. There was 13 years there. Maybe you're a member of the family here at Boulevard. that has finally come to the realization that dysfunction is not how God called us to be. And you're ready to be a part of a functional family. But you need prayers, you need help, you need encouragement from the body. Whatever it is that we can do for you, whatever need you have, we encourage you, make it known by coming forward while we stand and sing.